turn to Proverbs chapter 17 to start with. Today we'll be getting the big picture of Proverbs. We don't have time to uh, dig, dig too, too deep. So come with me. As I like to describe it, we're going to hop in an airplane. All right? You're going to hop in this airplane. We're going to go down the runway. We're going to build up some speed. We're going to lift off the ground. We're going to climb up to several, several uh, thousand meters, and we're just going to fly over this forest called Proverbs. Get the big picture, the, if you will. Before we do, this, do so, let me ask you a question. Now, what is the good life to you? What is the good life to you? Now, that's, that's a relative question, isn't it? The good life to you might be different from someone else. I guess that you have at least some goals in life. If you don't, we need to have a real good conversation. Uh, I'm assuming you have some desired set of circumstances. Whether that's, I don't know, for you it might be getting some sleep at night or having some good health for your children or you know, paying bills or whatever that might be. But I want to call those things ambitions. Ambitions. After all, who doesn't organize his or her life around himself and his ambitions? You organize your whole life around your ambitions. We literally spend our lives to achieve our ambitions. In many ways, this is what the book of Proverbs is all about. In many ways. It's a book of wisdom for those who want to fulfill their ambitions. The book of Proverbs, by the way, hopefully this is a reminder to you, it comes in the midst of a section of the Bible that is often called wisdom books, or the wisdom literature, or uh, some also might call it the Hebrew poetry section of your Bible. You'll see in this little diagram on the screen here, uh, the, the wisdom literature, starting with Job, then Psalms, then Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. The Old Testament's divided up into its genres, its literary styles. And uh, this is what we call the Hebrew poetry or the wisdom books. And so Proverbs is right in the midst of that. And if you've missed those big picture messages on Job and Psalms, you can go to the internet and find those. But Proverbs is basically divided into two parts. The first nine chapters of Proverbs works like a preface that is attempting to convince you to read the book. <laughs> you ever read a book like that? Uh, outside of the Bible is what I mean. You ever read a book that's trying to convince you to read the book? So in this case, it's, it's explaining why wisdom is so valuable to us. And the rest of the book, starting in chapter 10 all the way to the last one, are really collections of various wise sayings that we call Proverbs. So the book as a whole is a book of wisdom. It shows us why we should want wisdom. It exhorts us to seek wisdom. It tells us all about wisdom. It presents what the Bible teaches about how we should live our everyday lives. It's very, very practical. So if you've never studied uh, the book of Proverbs in its very top, various topics, I suggest you do that. That's a good way to read Proverbs. Uh, I've got several good books on my shelf that have uh, have taken the book of Proverbs and, and put it put it into its topics, whether it you know it talks about the fool or the sluggard or whatever it might be. It, 
takes all various Proverbs and puts them together in their topic. That's a good way to study it. If you've never done that, I highly recommend it. Now let me give you some uh, help in how to read Proverbs. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians struggle with this book and how to read it. And, and, and you need to know how to read it because if you don't know how to read it, it, it's actually very dangerous if you read it the wrong way. In fact, I've had over the years several conversations with various people who were, uh, who were struggling spiritually in some way as a result of their misreading of the book of Proverbs. I'll give you an example. One of my friends was struggling one day because of his, of, of his son, you know, a, a child of his who, was, who had kind of gone off the rails, so to speak, being a bit rebellious. And, and he's like, the book of Proverbs says that if I train up a child in the way that he should go, he's not going to depart from it. God was wrong. God lied to me. No, he didn't lie to you. You're just not reading it properly. <laughs> no, so let me, let, me, let me give you some helpful advice here on how to read Proverbs. Number one, common sense is required. Common sense is required, or as my friend calls it, rare sense. Rare sense, because it's not so common anymore. Some rare sense is required here, if you want to put it that way. Some wisdom is required in reading the book of Proverbs. So, I mean, if, you know, there's, there's just some things you read there, and you, you got to you just... Use your brain that God's given to you, okay? There's a lot that could be said in that. Let, let me just quickly fly through these. Number two, there are all, uh, they, the Proverbs, that is, are always ultimately true, but maybe not immediately true. Okay? It, it may not, in other words, it may not come to be true immediately, in, in the here and now, so to speak. But ultimately, these things are true. The, the big picture is that these things are true, Okay? Uh, for example, that one I just quoted to you earlier. You, you train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they're not going to depart from that. Well, that those of you who are in the midst of parenting like I am, you might be thinking, well, <laughs> is that really true? <laughs> but ultimately it is. Generally speaking, it's, it's true. If you do train up a child in the way they go, it, ultimately that is true. They, They'll not depart from that. Number three, they're normally true now. Normally. Not always. Not always. Sometimes it's obvious it might be talking about something in the future. Number four, they employ poetic imagery. And, and so you just need to understand what genre we're, we're using here will help you in interpreting it properly. Okay? It is poetry. That means there's a lot of figurative language there. But remember... Even in figurative language, it portrays literal truth. Okay, It's just using the, the poetry to do that. Number five, they are partial in themselves. Okay, For example, one, one proverb by themselves is, is not exhaustive. It's not, it's, it's, it's not telling you everything about a particular subject. It's in, one proverb by itself is incomplete by itself. All right, so that's why it's good when you're, you study Proverbs, study it topically, and read what does the entire book of Proverbs say about, say, about being a sluggard? 
number six, they are sometimes obscure. They're sometimes obscure. In other words, they're not so clear sometimes. Sometimes you might look at it and there might be some cultural thing going on there. In fact, uh, I was reading one proverb that was talking about a, a man winking his eye. You know, the, the guy winking his eyes, he's, he's got perverse plans in the works. Well, <laughs> that's one of those cultural things. It's a bit obscure because we don't, you know, we don't necessarily understand that, but maybe you do. Maybe, maybe if, maybe you, maybe that's one of those signals you might use with your friend. If you got some, some bad plan you're trying to work out, you might wink at them. Right? That, that was one of those cultural things that the Hebrews understood. Number seven, as a whole, the Proverbs are religious. They're not secular. They're, they're not the, you know, we got all kinds of Proverbs today, don't we? You know, a penny saved is a penny earned, or the early bird gets the worm, or, you know, these sort of things, right? Those are secular Proverbs. But these are religious Proverbs in the sense that they, uh, they help us to know how to live our lives before God. They give us biblical wisdom. How to live your life before God. And last, they instruct us in many ways. Instruct us in many ways. It's not just one way. It's, it, it, t- it tells us all various things of our life. And we're going to look at six areas in which the book of Proverbs instructs us toward godly success in a well-rounded life and what biblical wisdom, what a godly life looks like. And the first couple ones we're actually going to look at are, are negative. Proverbs is not all positive stuff. There is, there is some negative stuff here that warns us against these things. So we'll look at them and, and we'll end it with the positive ones. Okay, number one here, the, the, the first one we'll address is the fool. The book of Proverbs warns us about being a fool. The fool is the opposite of wise. Hey, often you'll see a contrast here in the book of Proverbs. In fact, even within one verse, you'll often notice the, the first line uh, might might contrast or be a comparison to the second line. That's Hebrew, often what Hebrew poetry does. So let me ask you this. How can you tell if someone is a fool? How do you know if your sister is a fool, or your mother is a fool, or your brother is a fool, or your workmate is a fool? How do you know if you're a fool? You look in the mirror, right? When you look in the mirror, how do you know? Am I looking at a fool? Well, Proverbs tells you when... You look in the mirror, you, you'll be able to know if, if you are a fool or not. Number one, you can tell by what he or she thinks about discipline. You can tell a fool by what he or she thinks about discipline. Look at Proverbs 17, chapter 17. This is very helpful here. Proverbs chapter 17. By the way, have your fingers ready to turn in the pages. we we got a lot of various scriptures to turn to today, okay? Proverbs 17, look at verse 24. Verse 24, it says, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Anywhere other than where they need to be. Proverbs 17, 24. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. He's not welcoming correction, the fool. I mean, we, we can look at many scriptures. We don't have time to look at them all, okay? Many scriptures that talk about this. This Not welcoming correction, 
In fact, this person's trying to avoid it. The fool tries to avoid it. The fool has a disregard for discipline. Total disregard for discipline. If, if, if some authority in, in their life says, you know, don't do this, you know, the eyeballs start rolling up into the head. Maybe some swearing might come out of the mouth, you know. Might go ahead and do the very thing that they were told by the authority not to do. It's this, the fool's the kind of person who's standing in the courtroom in that little, nice little box. And he's, you know, he's, he doesn't really care that he's in, you know, you know what I'm talking about? He's very arrogant. Discipline is coming down on that individual because of their crime. And they don't really seem to care. You can tell a fool by what he thinks about discipline. Number two, you can tell a fool by what he says, by what comes out of their mouth. His very words give testimony to the fact that this person has no self-control. He talks like a fool. Just by what comes out of their mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. So he talks like a fool. Look at uh, chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 29. Chapter 14, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Look at chapter 13, verse 16. Chapter 13, verse 16. In everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. So, you can tell a fool by what he says. Number three, you can tell a fool by the people around him. You ever heard that saying, uh, birds of a feather flock together? Well, that's, that's certainly true. Every time I've worked at a Christian camp, it happens within the first couple hours, usually, of camp. It's amazing. I've worked at some really large camps, you know, five, six hundred teenagers, you know, flock in all in this one day. And they'll, they'll be from all over the country. You know, they come in on these big buses, you know, hundreds of them. And they'll be from, they could be from different states in the United States, in my experience. And, 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 and the bad ones, it's like, it's like they have, they have bad attitude radar. Oh, there's someone with a bad attitude. I'm going to go seek that person out and spend the rest of the week with them. And so all these birds of a feather, they're flocking together, the, the rebellious ones. Man, they, they find each other so quickly. Never met each other their whole lives. Instantly good friends because they got bad attitudes. You ever notice that? Proverbs talks about that. You can tell a fool by the people they hang around because they hang around other fools. Fools like to keep the company of other fools, and that makes for dangerous company, doesn't it? Makes for very dangerous company. Look at chapter 17, verse 12. Chapter 17, verse 12. Chapter 17, verse 12 says, Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. We don't have bears here, but I hope you're aware that a mother bear, you never want to get between a mother bear and her cubs. You get between a mother bear and her cubs, 
you have very little chance of survival because <laughs> she's going to get extremely angry, and she will do everything to protect her cubs. She loves her cubs. She'll even attack the father of those cubs if he can, you know, if he comes anywhere near them. Mother bear is the most vicious thing you can you could find. And God says He's using that as an example here that. <clears throat> You'd rather meet the mother bear, a she-bear, than a fool in his folly. Because the fool's dangerous. And you put a couple fools together, then they just they then they just get even more dangerous, don't they? Just bigger and bigger problem. So how can you spot a fool? How can you tell someone's a fool? Number four, you can tell a fool by what ultimately happens to him. In other words, what is the end? What's the end product? What's the end result? Well, his his own rejection of correction and his lack of discipline ultimately lead to his death. Look at chapter 5. Chapter 5. The end result is death, destruction. It's not a good end for a fool. Chapter 5, verse 23. Verse 23, it says... He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. We need discipline. Unfortunately, fools don't take well to discipline. So we can make we, we can all make fools of ourselves by our choices, by the way. You you may not be inherently a fool per se. But sometimes in our lives, we make foolish choices, don't we? And so Proverbs is setting a stark alternative for us. The way of folly or the way of wisdom? Which one do you want to be? Which way do you want to be in? And so the difference between the two is, is the difference between trusting in yourself and trusting in God. That will determine which way you are. Are you trusting in God or yourself? If you trust in yourself, then you're a fool. A wise person trusting God. So that's the fool. Let's move on, uh, second of all, to the sluggard. The sluggard. Well, this person is rather easy to recognize. Uh, again, Proverbs talks a lot about this person, the sluggard. So let's, let's see what Proverbs has to say about this person. Number one, you can recognize the sluggard by his failure to take advantage of his present opportunities. The sluggard does not take advantage of his or her present opportunities. God gives opportunities to each one of us, but the sluggard just kind of sees them and then kind of lets them go by. And then will make excuses for himself along the way. (laughs) Look at chapter 6. Chapter 6. Here in uh, Proverbs chapter 6, God exhorts us to go to the ant. Now that doesn't mean you shrink yourself down in size to the size of an ant and go talk to one. But you look at them, observe them. Ants are amazing creatures that God has made. You can learn something from an ant. Look what God says, what He says about them, Proverbs 6 verse 6. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. 
How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So sluggard is recognized by this failure to uh, not take advantage of his present opportunities. He lets them slip by. He makes excuses. Doesn't do the work when the work needs to be done. As an ant, you know, an ant, they they work hard when the weather's good. You ever notice that? You're not going to see an ant running around when it's raining hard. Uh, Most of the time, you're going to very rarely see an ant in the middle of the wintertime. When it's nice and sunny and it's warm, the ants are busy. Very, very busy, aren't they? Gathering gathering food, doing whatever other work they need to do. They're preparing their bread in the summer and gathering their food in the harvest. We can learn a lot from an ant. Number two, you can recognize the sluggard by his excessive love of sleep. <laughs> now, notice a key word there is excessive, all right? Because uh, if you're like me, you love sleep. Sleep is a gift of God. God gives us sleep. In fact, the Bible says he, God gives to his beloved sleep. That's what the Bible says. So it's, it's, it's appropriate for you to sleep. It's inappropriate for you to kill yourself by not getting enough sleep. But sometimes people have this excessive love of sleep. And again, that's what Proverbs chapter 6 here is, is getting at. At the end part, after looking at the end in verse 10, uh, sorry, verse 9, look, look at verse 9 there again. It says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And look what happens to the person who has excessive love of sleep. Verse 11. Verse 11. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If you're a sluggard, you're lazy. Another word for sluggard. If you're lazy or sluggard, you're going to come to poverty. So don't don't love excessive sleep, but by all means get what's what you need. Number three, you can recognize a sluggard by his or her failure to ever finish what they started. Are you like that? You ever you find yourself constantly starting things and and never finishing them, or rarely finishing them? You're all over the place, you got all these projects. <clears throat> Look at Proverbs 26. This one you'll find helpful, I hope. Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, verse 15. Verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> By the way, verse 14 talks about the one we were talking about earlier. There's another one. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Lazy. So this person brings a hundred projects or more, if you will, or less, whatever you want to look at it. And doesn't finish them. He's distracted rather than being diligent. He 
waste opportunity. He prefers laziness to labor. He wants an easy life rather than one spent in doing good. And he's always making excuses. Always making excuses. Uh, I mean, like in verse 13, for example, there's a, there's a classic example of an excuse. The slugger says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. But what does he do in verse 14? He just keeps laying there. They make excuses. Let's move on to talk about the family. Let's talk about the family. The wise and godly life pays heed to the family. A wise and godly life is going to, of course, look what the Bible says about being a fool, about being a sluggard, but Proverbs also talks about the family. We need to take heed to what it says about that. Let's start by looking at the married couple. So those of you who are married couples, the book of Proverbs has some, some wise sayings here for you. Obviously, the family begins with the married couple. And this relationship uh, should be marked, by the way, by mutual respect and concern. It shouldn't just be a one-way street. It should also be marked by romance. By the way, don't get your definition of romance from Hollywood or romance novels. Okay, God does. We'll talk more about romance when we get to the book of the Song of Solomon. Okay, that's a good example of romance for you. And so here in chapter 5, it tells us they were to find our emotional as well as our sexual joy in our spouse. Look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 15. By the way, if you're not a married couple yet, you need to take heed to what the book of Proverbs says. Okay, Maybe one day God might give you a spouse and these, these are helpful things for you. Look at Proverbs 5, verse 15. Proverbs 5, verse 15 says, Drink water from your own cistern. There again, there's that, there's that poetic language that's portraying literal truth. In, in other words, it's saying, Find your joy in your spouse. Okay, that's poetry way of saying that. Find your joy in your spouse. In other words, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. You need to find your emotional strength and and joy in your spouse, as well as the sexual joy in your spouse, and in them alone. Beware, be aware. You start start being drawn to some other person of the opposite sex, whether it's a workmate or someone, just be aware. It often starts by talking about everyday things, and if there's a little bit of issues between you and your spouse, and then often you start start talking, whether it's, it could be on Facebook. Facebook is destroying a lot of marriages. Be aware of that. Okay? So it, it can, you can use that social media as well as someone at work or, you know, just meeting up with someone somewhere. 
Don't be alone with someone of the opposite sex. It'll help you a lot. Find your joy and satisfaction in your spouse. And so the other thing we need to be aware of is, is, is that the root of a loving marriage is faithfulness. The root is faithfulness. Never underestimate the danger of adultery. Okay, The man after God's own heart committed adultery. Okay? So don't, don't you ever think you're somehow above that? You're not. None of us are above it. It's only by the grace of God that you and I won't go there. So at the root here of, of a loving marriage is faithfulness. So we've we got to be careful. The Bible continually here in Proverbs warns us against the adulteress, shows us what she's like, what does she say, what does she do, where does she go? Many different passages. We're not going to look at all of them, so just let's just look at one. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Verse 16. Verse 16 says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Did you notice, verse 16, she speaks smooth words. She's a flatterer. Alright? Beware, men. Some woman starts flattering you. Your, your warning antenna should immediately go up. Especially if you're like me, now over 40. You know, I'm, I'm over 40, and they start, if they start trying to flatter me, then I should be thinking, all right, she needs, she needs some new glasses, or she's blind or something, right? That's what I should be thinking. Okay? We often think too highly of ourselves, though, don't we? But she, she's flattering, smooth words coming out. She's forgetting the covenant of her God. Notice the end of it, though. Sinks down to death, verse 18 says. Sinks down to death. Think of the end. Think of the end. It's not a good end. All right, so we talked about the married couple. Let's talk about children. Because Proverbs does address children. So today's Father's Day. Uh, appropriately, the book of Proverbs helps us as fathers and mothers, as parents. But you know what, children, those of you who are children, the book of Proverbs has some very, very wise advice and wisdom for you. So listen, listen what it says, okay? Uh, one of the first things we see here is that children should not shame and disgrace their parents. Did you know that you can be ashamed to your parents? You can disgrace your parents. You can embarrass your parents. It is a two-way street. I know you as teenagers in particular. You're like, really? I thought it was only my father who could embarrass me. But no, you can embarrass your father. It goes both ways. It It goes both ways. But you can also be a source of joy to your parents. Not only can you shame them and disgrace them and embarrass them, but you can bring great joy. It's, it's one of those things as being a parent. You, you get highs and lows, even in one day, several times. Parents should be the pride of their children. So since this is Father's Day, that's 
look at more than one verse, okay? Let's go over to chapter 17. Chapter 17. Chapter 17. Verse 6. 17, verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. The glory of children is their father's. So children, teenagers, do you believe that? God is not lying. That's the way it should be. You should obey and honor your father. You should be proud of your father in a biblical sense. Look at chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 26. 19, verse 26. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son. You could insert daughter there as well. A son or daughter who brings shame and reproach. So, I ask you, teenagers, what are you doing to your father and mother? Are you chasing them away? Do you make it where it's difficult for them to want to be around you? Or are you a joy to be with? <laughs> Which is it? it should, you should be a joy instead of chasing them away. Don't bring shame and reproach to them. Don't embarrass them. Look at chapter 20. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 20. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. You're going to be destroyed. You wonder why so many teenagers are dying today? And aren't so-called living out their life to the full? This is one of the reasons why. That's, again, this is not... This is not Always coming true. Remember, Proverbs don't always come true immediately. Okay? There's, there's a lot of teenagers having heaps of problems because they're not obeying and honoring their parents. And they, they're living dissatisfied lives. They're discontent. They're suffering the consequences. God says they will. Let's look at another one. Uh, chapter 30. Go over to chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 11. Verse 11. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Now, most likely, that's not literally going to come true. But the point is, there is literal truth there. There is consequences for your sin. Always bad consequences for sin. Always. Do not mock your father and scorn them. Obey them and honor them. Now, we as parents also have a responsibility to our children. The book of Proverbs exhorts us to teach them. The main thing we must do as parents, the book of Proverbs says, is to teach and discipline and train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Look at chapter 29. 
chapter 29, verse 15. 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Yes, mothers and fathers, I know. Most of the time it's inconvenient to do this. I understand. Usually it's when you're in the midst of doing something you want to do, right? For me, it's when I'm eating something yummy, or I'm watching something on TV, or I'm busy working, I might be studying or something, and then I have to deal with my children at the most inconvenient times. I understand. But that's your responsibility. Don't leave them to themselves. Look what God says. They will bring shame to you. They will not sort themselves out by themselves. It's your responsibility to jump in and teach, train, discipline, if necessary, reprove, and use the rod. That gives wisdom. Look at chapter 23. Chapter 23. Verse 13, chapter 23, verse 13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, from death. Parents who don't love their children do not discipline children. That's what God says. God disciplines those whom he loves. So a wise parent is going to discipline their children because they love them. Okay? It's not loving to let a child do whatever they want. Anyway, Proverbs talks more about this, but let's move on to looking at friendships. Proverbs talks about friendships. The wise and godly person pays heed to 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 his friends. Who are your friends? A wise and godly person pays heed to who their friends are. This book is full of talk about friendship, and so we need to find that friends are going to fall into one of two categories, okay? Not all friends are good. Okay, that might be a revelation to someone here. Not all friends are good. In fact, Bible, the Bible divides them up into good and bad. You can have a bad friend, it is possible. Let's look at the bad friends first. The Bible says friends can be a curse, or they can be a blessing. Proverbs warns us not to be the companion of gluttons or prostitutes. For example, look at chapter 28. 28, verse 7. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Yeah, you want to just sit around being a couch potato, for example. Yeah, I'm going to watch the rugby game and eat my chips and grow fat, lazy. You're going to be ashamed. Proverbs exhorts us not to desire the company of evil people. Don't desire the company of evil people. Chapter 24, verse 1 says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Don't desire to be with them. Now here's the reality, okay? Here's the reality. The people who spend, who, who, sorry, the people who, whom you spend time with will have an influence on you. Iron sharpens iron. 
So a friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's true. They will have an influence on you. So beware who, you, who your friends are. Well, let's, let's talk about good friends. What is a real friend? What does Proverbs say a real friend looks like? What does it look like? What does he or she look like? Number one, real friends are sensible. Real friends are sensible. In our friendships, we should not offer to do what we can't do. All right, that's not being sensible. All right, if, if, if you have if you have a friend who, I don't know, gets gets themselves into debt, Proverbs says you don't go out and sign the contract that's going to take care of their debt. For example, you're being a fool if you do that. Let me give you an example from Proverbs here, chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 18. Okay? 17, verse 18. One who lacks sense. In other words, they're not being sensible. Lacking sense. Gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. You are a fool if you go and you do the handshake thing and sign the contract for uh, the loan shark or whatever it might be. You're a fool. You don't do that, even if it is your friend. Even if it's your family member, don't do it. Okay, if they get themselves into some foolish situation, they're going to have to get themselves out. Number two, real friends are selfless. Selfless. We should not use other people for our pleasure. People are not there to serve you. It's not what it's about. We should find pleasure in how we can be used to help other people. How can you serve other people? The second greatest commandment is to love people, right? Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 29. Verse 29. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Look at chapter 14. We don't have time to dwell on any of these, really, so let's, let's move on. Chapter 14, verse 21. Verse 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Chapter 25. Do you get the idea here? This person's selfless. They're generous. They're selfless. Chapter 25, verse 17. Verse 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. (laughs) In other words, don't be an overstayer. Don't be an overstayer. I mean, the the people whom you wish should be thinking, man, I wish they would be here more often. They, They shouldn't be thinking, are they ever going to leave? All right, so friends are selfless. Number three, real friends forgive. Real friends forgive. Well, if your friend isn't forgiving you, what does that say of them then? It means they're not a real friend. Chapter 10, verse 12, Hatred stirs up strife, strife but love covers all offenses. All offenses. Number four, real friends tell the truth to one another. Real friends tell the truth to one another. 
By the way, your spouse should be your best friend. Your spouse should be your best friend. Don't hide anything. Chapter 24, verse 28. Chapter 24, verse 28. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Speaking of lips, we'll move on to words. Let's move on to words. Again, just like with with friends, there's, there's two options here. Two varieties. There's bad or good, or there's there's false or true words. Let, let's uh, let's talk about what you say. All right, that's typically how we think of words. What what you and I say. Do you know what most often defeats us in what we say? Was it what is it that? Where do we go wrong? Let me put it that way. Where do we most often go wrong in what we say? Right? You, you, you say something in the heat of some moment, right? And you're like, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Right? We, we say that sometimes. Yes, you did, by the way. But the problem is, is our haste. It's almost like your mouth is in front of your brain. Proverbs is telling us, get your brain in front of your mouth. Beware of haste. So the solution is in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. Verse 22. We'll start in verse 22 and we'll read down to verse 31. Verse 22 says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before He had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When He established the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep. When He made firm the skies above. When He established the fountains of the deep. When He assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress His command. When He marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside Him like a master workman. And I was daily His delight, rejoicing before Him always, rejoicing in His inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. What's the point of this passage? (laughs) Kind Kind of weird... I think the point of the passage is that God possesses wisdom before He did anything. God is not hasty. God's not, God never says, whoops, I didn't mean to do that, or I didn't mean to say that. He's never hasty. He possessed wisdom before He did anything. His actions were totally wise. And we too should possess wisdom. And wisdom should precede every one of our actions. What you do should be well thought out, hopefully. Well prayed over. (laughs) By the way, that should include any action of speaking. Again, Proverbs warns us about this in chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 8. Chapter 14, verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guild offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. 
The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. That should include what you speak. Give thought to your steps. All right, that's, so, so that the Bible talks about what you say, but it also talks about what you hear. It also talks about the words you hear. You need to be careful with those as well. And the most important thing about words is how we hear them. Wisdom is not found through speaking words. It's found through listening to the words of others. Primarily the words of God. Listening should be given priority over speaking. Now the idea of hearing in the Bible means listening, and then you follow up with what you have heard, following up with right actions. In fact, the Bible many times, uh, at least three times in Proverbs itself, says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Remember, Jesus said that to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, every single church. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Matthew, Jesus says the same things. If you have ears to hear, let, let him hear. Be careful how you hear, what you hear. One example of this is found in chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on him, but he who reveres the commandment built will be rewarded. Don't despise the word. The Bible also talks about life and death. Every one of us is either on the way of life or you're on the way of death. That's the only two options. The way of life or the way of death. And we may try to avoid death. We do everything we can to avoid death, most of us, don't we? Most people do. Right? We eat, we drink, we sleep, we clothe ourselves, we shelter ourselves, we, we go to see the doctor, we, we might read health books, and we might, might take some supplements or whatever, right? We, we try, might exercise, do these various things. Why are we doing that? Not to kill ourselves. We're looking after ourselves, hopefully. But Proverbs tells us there is actually a way of death that we travel upon long before reaching the grave itself. There's a way of death okay, that's going to lead to destruction. It may not happen immediately, but there's a way. Sin by nature is deadly, the Bible says. And the penalty of sin is death, of course. That may, may not happen immediately. But our attraction to, to it is a fatal attraction. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, number one, we must confess our sins to God, and then plead for His mercy. Look at chapter 28. Chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 13. Okay? This applies whether you're an unbeliever or a believer. Okay? Don't conceal your sin. God says in verse 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 
So there's a way of life and there's a way of death. You want to try to cover your sins? You're a fool. God sees everything. God knows everything. Okay? He knows if you're looking at pornography on the internet. You can't fool Him. God knows if you're sexting. God knows if you're reading those those inappropriate romance novels or something like that, right? God knows everything you're doing, whether you think you're in the dark or not. He knows it all. can't hide. Don't conceal it. Confess and forsake it. So which road are you on, my friend? Are you on the road of life or the way of death? In the afterlife, we're going to finally receive that for which all of our ambitions have aimed. We're going to receive it. And Proverbs clearly teaches, by the way, that God will judge people. God will judge people. Everybody will be judged for what they've done in their bodies here on earth. Now remember this warning here to the rebellious in chapter 29. There's a serious warning to rebellious. Chapter 29, verse 1. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Whoa. My friend, there is a point of no return with God. God's mercy and the fact that, yes, He is long-suffering, but there is a point where it will end. You continue to rebel against God, you will suffer the consequences eternally. So, which road are you on? Life or death? Well, look what Proverbs 8 says. Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, verse 35. Here's what wisdom says, verse 35. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Pretty clear. So which road are you on, my friend? Are you on life or are you on death? Well, as good as Proverbs is, I love this book. As good as it is, it doesn't provide the final word, if you will. It doesn't provide the final word on the wisdom of God. It's, it's, if you will, it's, it's purposely incomplete on the wisdom of God. Yes, it's inspired. Yes, it is profitable. But there is other wisdom in the Bible that we need to know as well. And for that, we need to turn to the New Testament, which I've put on the screen here for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to what it says. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, of God. You see that there? Christ, 
is the perfect and full wisdom of God. So Proverbs should drive us to Christ. Proverbs should drive us to the one who is wisdom. The greatest wisdom of all. The one who, who is the source of wisdom. In Christ we find true friendship. In Christ we find true love. So my friend, as we look at Proverbs, let's not, let's not look at these Proverbs in and of themselves, but let's look to Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. Don't look anywhere else. Look to Christ. He is the wisdom of God.